going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. So this is special edition of the Going Deep podcast for me because it narrows in on and focuses on a topic that I think is really important. That's not just representation, but it's the visibility of positive modeling. And I think we see that in many ways, certainly within the Toronto Raptors. We've talked about how in many different areas they're led by women, completely diverse, obviously under Masai Jury and his leadership, they've been incredibly philanthropic. But also you see great modeling, especially for me, in black fatherhood. I give the example most recently of Kyle Lowry, where before I was a dad, being around him, watching him with his kids, I saw that there is a beautiful balance in being a fierce competitor, but being a loving, empathetic, caring father. That those two things are not actually in competition, but they work together. Certainly documenting someone like Masai Jury, I was amazed at how he's able to juggle such a massive jog, but always be present for his family. I can't remember what trade or what acquisition it was, but the assembled media waited and waited and waited to talk to him to hear about the breaking news because Masai was at his daughter's dance recital, and that was the most important thing in that moment. And when you have great leadership like that, it trickles down from the top. But especially when, based off of our culture, we don't see that sort of modeling of black fatherhood and leadership often. In fact, we hear stories about the opposite. It is really important to highlight it when it does happen. It's certainly happening in the Raptors organization in many different roles. So let's spend some time reflecting and touching on a bunch of different ones. Great examples, coaching staff, Adrian Griffin, who was a great player, and now his son, AJ, is becoming a great player, maybe a little too great as he hit a game winner against the Raptors earlier this year for the Atlanta Hawks. But I'm fascinated to understand how he went from balancing being a player and a father to being a coach and a father and now competing against his son. Let's spend some time with AG himself, Adrian Griffin, talking about what it's like to be a father in the NBA. Let's go back to the start. What do you remember about your firstborn being born? My firstborn? Yeah. Oh, uh, my firstborn was my daughter, and I was uh, fresh out of college, and um, I had no job. <laughs> I was living at home with my parents, and I got a call from the CBA, which I had no clue what the CBA was at the time, the Continental Basketball Association. I just knew I was undrafted at the time, and I needed a job, and I had a baby girl on the way. So I flew out to Connecticut, and. The rest is history, man. I spent three years in the, the uh, CBA. Um, so it started with some humble beginnings, but uh, I needed a job, man. I had a family to support. So that's kind of where a lot of my motivation early on came through. What does black fatherhood mean to you? Man, it's special because um, I felt like I was really privileged to have um, a father. Um, he passed away when I was about 25, 26. He was 48 years old. But I try to cherish the, the times and the lessons that he taught me early on in life. You know, he was uh, ex-military, uh, and then he turned pastor. Uh, and he was a pastor of the church for 25 years. You know, so you grew up with, like, really strict discipline, uh, great morals, you know. And I joke about it, but I'm so appreciative uh, of it now that I'm older as as a father myself and all the lessons that he taught us about, you know, we had to make our beds military style, you know, with no wrinkles. And he would come in there and he would, he would pop a quarter on there and that quarter had to bounce. And if it didn't, he would just take, not the sheets, he would take the whole mattress, you know, just like military uh, way of doing things. And we, you know, my brother and I were like six, seven, eight years old. We had to shine our shoes and it had to have a shine in there. He, he had to see his reflection. And you know, when you're a kid, you don't really understand it, but 
you know, I'm so grateful that he taught us discipline. You know, I wouldn't be here today. And that's one thing, you know, a father brings to the table. And, you know, mothers as well, but there's just nothing like, you know, a father that a uh, little intimidating <laughs> to keep you on track. You know, it kept me off the streets. I was in the gym. You know, he was the type of father that go up to the school when you were messing up in school and, and uh, talk to your teachers and the principal and you see him walking down the hallway, you knew you were in trouble. So I'm really grateful for him keeping me in line. I am a junior, mm -hmm. just like AJ, so I know that, that pressure. Yeah. What's it like for you that he wanted to follow in your footsteps? Well, he's exceeded anything that I've done, you know, in my career. Um, he's a lot better ball uh, player than I ever was. Um, but I saw when he was a young kid, around two, three years old, he just had a passion for basketball. And uh, I remember, you know, as he got older, 9, 10, 11 years old, I would come home from practice or a road trip, and sometimes I'm tired, sometimes I just want to go home and get in my bed. And as soon as I would walk in the door, AJ would be right there at the door. You know, he, had, he would be fully dressed, his backpack on, his sneakers in his hand, a, ba a basketball in another hand, and he would beg me to go back to the gym. So I, I always tell the kids, you know, give me 30 minutes, give me a glass of water, and then we'd go back to the gym. And we'd go back to the gym around 5, 5.30, and we'd spend rest of the evening, rest of the night. You know, it would be a task to try to pull them off the floor, you know, his brother, his sisters. Um, we will always play two on two, right? AJ and Allen against me and Aubrey, my youngest daughter. And we will always beat them because they will always start fights and stuff. And AJ would take it so serious. And Allen was always kind of, he didn't care one way or the other. But AJ and Allen would play one on one also every day. And Allen's three years older than AJ. But in AJ's mind, he felt that he should be the one winning every game. <laughs> but it didn't turn out that way, you know, because Allen's a really good ball player himself. <laughs> and so AJ would cry. It would be the longest road uh, trip home to uh, after the game, after practice, because AJ would cry. He would throw a fist every time he lost to Allen. But I realized, like, man, this, you know, this kid really wants to be good. You know, and it, said, it showed me a lot about him, you know, that this kid, when we would do the drills, you know, he would be so locked in and focused. And then he's like 10, 11 years old. And I told the kids, if you want me to train you, I'm going to treat you just like I treat the players that I train every day. And they agreed to do it. And, and we would come in, and he would be so locked in, concentrating. And I was just thinking to myself, like, man, this guy, this kid has a chance, you know, just the way he, his passion for the game and his approach to the game. So here's something that I struggle with as a young dad that I want to learn from you because, you know, with our families and legacy, you want every generation to have better. For sure. And at the same time, you want to instill that resiliency, that grit sure. that you needed, that your father needed. How do you balance the two where you know, AJ didn't have to necessarily do those things yeah. that you did because you did them? Exactly. Well, it's, you know, it's different circumstances. You know, when I was growing up, you know, it was, things were very tight. And as far as uh, economically speaking for my parents, uh, they did the best they could, but they, they taught us to work. You know, uh, I would, my brother and I would go with my father and we'd go mow, mow lawns. We would pick up the aluminum cans and we'd take them and cash it in and he would always give us five dollars here. He taught us how to work, you know, and he, he taught me a valuable lesson in that there's no excuse for not taking care of your family. There's no excuse for, for not finding work and working hard. You know, my father would clean buildings and while he was going to uh, uh, ministry school. Um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma for three years. You know, we, we would go with him and clean church buildings. My mom would be with him like 10, 11 o'clock at night. They would work two or three jobs. So when my kids came along, obviously I was in a better position as far as uh, financially being in the NBA, but I didn't want those values to be lost. So I just transferred them over to the court, you know. I said, hey, you got to work hard. You got to be on time. You got to be locked in. Um, I didn't let them slack. 
on, on the court and in the classroom. You know, that's where, you know, if they didn't have the grades, you know, there was always a consequence for that. And obviously, you know, I'm not holding them to a straight A standard. I knew that they had basketball responsibilities and, and school responsibility. But I wanted them to know that you can do this. You can balance both. And then when we would get in the gym, like, it was always structure and then games at the end. Like, then we play any type of games one-on-one. -on -one. But I, I wanted to teach them some type of discipline. And, yeah, it was tough, you know, it's hard to because when you don't have something, you know, you you tend to work a little harder, you know, and me being going undrafted, it, it taught me some resilience. But I wanted to find a way to show the kids because the one thing that I always tell the kids, like, yes, your dad's in the NBA. Yes, I made it, but I made it, not you. Just because I'm in the NBA doesn't automatically mean you're going to be in the NBA. You, my name alone alone cannot get you in the NBA. You have to make your own name and you have to make your own path. And it starts with a lot of hard work. And one, the kids will tell you probably, um, they probably got tired of me telling them, but you gotta let the work work for you. I was teaching hard work, it's hard work, hard work. Because, you know, if you ever watch me play, I'm not the most talented. <laughs> I, I didn't jump the highest, I'm not the quickest, but I felt like if I could just outwork you, outwork you every day, hustle, make hustle plays, make my teammates better. Man, you can carve out a career. And you see AJ doing it, but he actually can shoot the ball. <laughs> I couldn't shoot, you know, he actually has some skill. Allen, like really, all, all my kids were a lot more offensively skilled than I was because I couldn't shoot the ball. So when they were little, I vowed like I'm teaching guys how to, that's the only thing I used to snap on. <laughs> if, they, if they didn't shoot the ball correctly, you know, there was no room for any um, errors on that, you know, because I, I knew how important it was to shoot the ball and I, I could have extended my career. And the game has changed. You got to be able to shoot the ball now. So that was one thing that I, I really held them to a high standards. And uh, to their credit, they were great kids. They always listened. I always kind of knew when to pull back. But it's tough sometimes, you know. I see AJ out there and I want to text him sometime about, some, you know, he maybe. Yeah, it's a bad game. I got to use a little bit of wisdom there, not to just try to coach him, but be a father, you know, and that's the challenge for me. And then sometimes I'll say, hey, man, great job. I know it was a tough night. You really didn't have it going, but you, you hustle and you try to find ways instead of me saying, hey, you need to do this and you need to do this and you need to do this. So it's a learning curve for me uh, as well and not try to be a father, not so much a coach at times. You didn't get to hear your name called by the commissioner yes. on draft night. But you heard that last yeah, name called right. w when he was. Yeah. What was that night like for you? Oh, man, it, it was magical. I, I, I couldn't ask for, you know, just a better night. But I was more happy for AJ because I, I saw how hard he's worked his whole life, even though he's 19 years old. I can't imagine being 19 in the NBA. You know, I was 25 years old, and I knew how hard it was for me and for him to be where he is, it's just a testament to his hard work. And I always say it takes a village, you know, to, to raise a kid. You know, a lot of good coaches in this life, a lot of people has helped him, not just myself, but uh, it takes community. You know, um, his high school coaches were great at stepping in. You know, obviously he went to Duke, um, had a big part of him positioning himself there. but. You know, at the end of the day, I always tell AJ, you know, it was, it was your hard work, you know, that got you where it's not because you're special. What makes you special is your work and your approach to your craft and always wanting to get better. So, you know, embracing him after his name was called was just the best feeling that a father could imagine. You know, of course, I'm proud of him for his accolades in basketball, but when you see your kid, achieve one of his their goals and it's one of the ultimate goals if you're a basketball player you know it's to reach the pinnacle and one of the pinnacles in basketball is is in the NBA especially you know I never experienced getting my name drafted I remember sitting there at the um, watching TV back in Wichita Kansas uh, hoping my name would be called and, and it didn't happen I knew how rejected I felt and so I got to experience one extreme to the other so 
I'm just happy to be along for the ride. You know, I'm like, man, I really don't deserve this. You know, it's a it's a gift, and that's the way I see it. You know, it's such, just a gift to just see him reach his goals and his dreams. And you know, he has the biggest smile, and he's so appreciative of the opportunities that he's getting. And so it was a great experience for our whole family. My only regret is that my father wasn't, you know, allowed to see, you know, his see carry on that, you know, tradition of just always talk about being strong Griffin men, you know, and I think, uh, you know, my boys, you know, I feel, I, feel, I feel like they embody that. What was it like for you when he hit a game winner against <laughs> you? Are you? Are you vexed? Are you proud? Oh, man, that was, people do not realize how hard it is to, and I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to coach against my son. You know, I know there's been coaches and head coaches in the league that coach against their son. But that was my first, you know, really experience of him playing well, but also us needing to win. Like, we need to, these games. These are, uh, are hard to come by. And, you know, I always kind of go into the game like, well, I want him to play well, but I want us to win. Well, obviously, he played too well <laughs> that night. so. But it, it was, it's like turmoil, like inside, because you always rooted for your son and your kids, and it's hard to cut that off. You know, so while he's out there, sometimes I had to catch myself because I want to scream, like, get back on defense. You know, I'm trying to coach him in the game in my mind, but I'm like, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> we got to win this game. You know, like, he's on the other team. Like, I, 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 it was, so it was difficult. You know, it was a lot more difficult than I thought. And I was just happy that the game was over. And, you know, obviously um, he hit the game winner and, you know, I was happy for him. But, you know, we, we, we're still comp competitors. We're still competing. And so it's, 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 it's a challenge. But, you know, overall I'm just happy for his success. There's a lot of uh, young men on this team that could be your son. Right. Uh, who have their own yeah. children. In a way, what's your relationship with them fathering them on how to yeah. be young fathers? You know, it's, it's tough, you know, because, you know, every generation is different. You know, I grew up in a genera generation where basically managed the players. You know, there was not a lot of connection or relationship. It was about, you know, transactional. Like, you do this, and you'll get this. If you don't do this, Here's the consequence, you know, and it was pretty black and white. You know, I would go through seasons where the head coach would never really have a conversation other than cussing you out or giving you instruction on the floor. But outside of that, you really, there was really not a lot of interaction. Um, today's generation is different. You know, they, they crave for the relationship. It's very important to build those relationships. But as you also have to elevate them and you have to tell them the hard truths and you have to have a you know the discipline part so you, you're balancing both and so having kids their age has helped me kind of connect with them understanding that it's not all about basketball all the time like they they have other aspirations you know social media has changed you know they're they they're more i wouldn't say more but they're part part of their career is building their brand on and off the court and so there's different components uh, so having kids my, that their age has helped me kind of understand like, the overall approach that you got to take. Uh, so, but you can't lose the values, you know, you can't lose the discipline because without hard work, uh, respect for the game, um, resilience, fortitude, without those, you know, you're not going to be able to reach your goals anyway. So yeah, you can build relationships and you can be friends with them and all this, but if you're not challenging them and elevating them to get to where they want, need to be, you know, you're doing them disservice. So I always tell those guys like, man, man, I love you. And if I didn't love you, I wouldn't tell you the truth. And that's all I gotta tell you the truth as I see it. And so, you, you know, I have a great mentor and he, he, he would tell me all the time, your voice is choice. It's more how you say it and your, and your delivery you know, like, yeah, old school, you could just let it rip and, and you know, rip into them. But I think the way you use your voice is different and you, the way you try to um, deliver those values in a way that they can receive it. And I think that's the, the biggest thing that most coaches nowadays have to 
learn and, and make that transition. You know, the coaching is evolving, the players are evolving. So we got to kind of learn how to, to, to reach out to them in a different manner. What have you tried to teach your kids about black history and black culture? Well, the biggest thing that I feel like for me, like my father was a pastor growing up and I used to see him get up there every Sunday morning and just reach, he didn't necessarily see color. He, he just saw people, you know, and I, and as a black man, he never made excuses. I never heard him make excuses about um, this is not right. I'm, I'm, I'm not getting a fair uh, chance at this, you know, a fair opportunity and this, and he never used race. And so he taught me about just being comfortable who you are, um, being proud of who you are. You can't change your color, you know. Uh, you have to embrace it, accept it, and, and don't, and, and not make excuses, you know, but also, at, you know, understanding that there are hard times, you know. I, I teach my, my kids, yes, there's sometimes things are not going to be fair. Uh, how things, um, but it's how you respond to it. You know, sometimes events happen to you. You know, I grew up in, a, in an era where, you know, I can remember sometimes when I was delivering newspapers because I was trying to make some money. And, you know, sometimes people see me walking down the street, man, they get jump off their porch, lock their doors. So I walk across the street and you can see them like lock, lock their doors, you know, and but my father was such a great role model that he never wanted me to use that as a crutch or excuse to, for doing the right thing. So that you always treat people right, you know, regardless, and give them an opportunity. You never judge, you know. I, I always kind of use that Martin Luther King quote, you know, you judge someone by their character, you know, not by the color of their skin. So I was fortunate to have a father that was a great mo role model and I, I try to teach my, my kids the same thing, that, that be proud of who you are. You know, you walk with your head up, you know, and there's going to be times where life knocks you down, but it's how you respond. And, you know, I, I try not to, I try to tell them, like, try not to be a victim. You know, that doesn't mean that things are going to be fair. Sometimes it's very unfair, but try not to be a victim. So. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy, but, you know, uh, you teach them, you try to teach them the, the, the right morals and, and the right belief system, and uh, so far, so good. What's your greatest fear uh, that you have around your, you know, young black children? Obviously, like, just as a parent, you know, just when they walk out the house, you know, my, my, old, my young son, the other day was just telling me that he was going to be traveling 40 minutes by himself to an area he doesn't know. And obviously, you know, as a parent, you're like, man, just be careful, you know, uh, especially my boys as, as young black men, when they were uh, boys growing up, you know, I would have talks with them, you know, just, and this is real talk, you know, like, hey, you got to be careful when, when you're out and about, you know, and uh, there's just certain stereotypes that especially when I was growing up and my kids, uh, that they would put on young black men and we would have conversations with that. You know, this is what you do when you get pulled over. You know, this is what you do when you're walking down the street or somebody approaching, you know, you, you gotta have those conversations, you know? And so um, I'm like any other parent, you know, you worry about your kids when they walk out, you know, the door. And, and, the, and I think the biggest thing is when they started to graduate from high school and being on their own, and trying to make their own way in life. And I have two daughters and, you know, you worry about that stuff. But um, I, I was raised in a home with strong faith and I, 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 I try to keep that going. And, you know, I'm on my knees a lot and pray a lot and ask God for protection and uh, just use my faith as, as much as I can. Uh, um, but, you know, you worry, but uh, you try to just teach them the best you can. and. And, uh, no, and, and just instilling them that they always have home, there's always a place to go. They always can pick up the phone and, you know, I'll be there. What's your greatest hope for your young black kids? Just my, it's to reach their full potential. That's it. You know, it could be on the court, off the court. 
You know, obviously you can't play forever. You know, sports, yes, sports is important, but I think it's more important uh, to be a good citizen and change people's lives. Like I said, you know, my father was a minister for as long as I could remember, and I just remember the impact that he had on the community, uh, all the things that we used to do. Uh, he just had a huge heart. You know, I was always giving. You know, he, there was times when he would say, hey, let's, let's go. We're going over this house. We're going to help them paint. Uh, we, uh, we're going to go over here. You need to cut this lady's yard. And I'm like, Dad, I don't know this lady. It doesn't matter. You know, we pull up, and, and he was always giving of himself, uh, uh, you know, selfishness. Um, so my greatest hope is that my, my, my children will carry on that le legacy of just being good people and to, to, to be givers, you know, just not takers and enhance this world, make this world a better place. And lastly, the beautiful thing is that, um, you know, you're not an outlier mm -hmm. within the organization, whether it's on the floor, in the front office, on the bench, there yeah. are many role models of yeah. black fatherhood. For sure. Why is that important, uh, that th there's that symbol coming out of this organization? Well, it, it's because uh, it's, it's needed. I mean, we live in a society, uh, my wife and I were just talking about this. We were watching, like we love like forensic files and uh, the last 48 hours and all this stuff. For, and, uh, you know, unfortunately they portray a lot of uh, young black men. Those are the ones that are getting into the, the juvenile system and going to jail and, and and they're portrayed on television as, you know, these vigilantes, you know, and we were just talking about this and I was saying like, that's very unfortunate because there's a lot of role models out there, but we're just not portraying those. And, you know, one thing you can't say about the Toronto Raptors is that we, we try to model, you know, the behavior that we want to see. So there's a lot of strong men, a lot of strong black men, you know, starting with Maasai, you know, obviously I try to better myself um, and try to be a role model uh, based on just the values my dad instilled in me. But I, th I feel like we have a social responsibility. You know, a lot of people, I went back to school when I was a player. When I was in the NBA, I went back, got my NBA. People thought I was crazy. It's like, man, you're in the NBA. What you, what you need to go back to school and get an NBA before? Well, I, I knew like basketball is temporary, you know, and then the last five years with Coach Nurse, we, were, we worked on our doctorate degree together. And a lot of people said, man, you, you've been in the NBA for 25 years. Why, why do you want to get a doctorate degree? Well, my number one reason, I wanted to inspire others. Like, if I can do it, I remember my freshman year in college, my, my uh, counselor, student counselor, uh, sat me down and she said, she looked at my, my scores, my test scores, and I, I wanted to get into business, you know, and, and she was like, you know, based on your test scores, you know, it's going to be very difficult for you to reach this goal. And I remember how that made me feel. It wasn't her fault, it was mine, you know, and I never wanted to feel like that. That was the first time I left my life. So I was like, man, I don't want to be a dumb jock, you know, because at that time, all I cared about was basketball. and. Four years later, when I graduated, I was the Big East Scholar Athlete of the Year. And I devoted myself to, and I had a lot of help, but I devoted myself off the court like I did on the court. And so I always try to push that envelope to say anything is possible, you put your mind to it. Because if a kid like me can do it, you, you can do it. You know, that's my, that's like my testimony, you know. And, and it's, Yes, basketball is great, sports is great, but that doesn't define who you are, you know. You never stop learning, you never stop growing. You know, you can always make a positive impact on somebody's lives. So working in this organization has really been just such a thrill because, you know, we actually, you know, we practice what we preach, you know, social change and impacting communities. So it's just been a joy to be here on and off the court. Well. You, you talk about that testimony. Um, well, you're providing testimony and example as a, 
as a great father. Uh, and AJ's charting his own uh, great path. So thank I thank you, you for doing well, everything you do. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. You know, AJ talked about it. He's coaching players that are now essentially his own kids' age. And so that gives him a different sort of relationship, but it also gives him a different type of modeling, different type of impact he can have on those players. One of those players, Stad Young, who is an OG on the team, in a way he is modeling what it's like to be a working dad. And so I wanted to ask almost the exact same questions I did to Adrian, to Thad, to see if, because of the difference in generations, the answers are different. So let's now listen and learn from Thad Young as we go deep with him as he believes his greatest impact is not what he does on the court, but what he does for his boys around the court. What does black fatherhood mean to you? Black fatherhood means to me uh, strength, leadership, uh, motivation, determination. Um, you know, I know those are all, all one word, um, you know, uh, phases, but I think, you know, those are strong, bold words. You know, it, you know, being a black father, you know, it's tough. You know, and, you know, raising kids is tough. You know, and I'm not just saying it just because I'm a black father, but just in general. Um, you know, but growing up in America nowadays and, you know, seeing all the stuff that we've been seeing, you know, over the past, you know, four or five years of, you know, um, you know, racial inequality and, you know, um, the disparity and like how someone is being treated towards somebody else and stuff like that, you know, you have to like, you know, pin letters to your kids and tell them like, hey, you can't do this. You can do this. You, you got to do this. This is how you should do it. Like you have to kind of give them the, the cheat code to surviving in life and so, and building life skills and building like uh, skills that's gonna like you know evolve to be you know for them to be you know working young men or like civilized citizens and I think that's one of the biggest things like you have to use all those words and those words have to be you know implemented into your everyday life in order to to be somebody that you want to be. So here's where I struggle with and I want to learn about the cheat code because. I got two young boys, and you want to instill that grit, that resilience right. that we had when we were coming up, but they're living in a different reality. They yes. have access to things and are wearing brands that we <laughs> didn't have. Yep. How do you balance that? Uh, I think, like, I try to balance it with, like, just getting them to understand that it's, it's always going to be a, a process. It's always going to be work that has to be done in order to get what you want or to get what you need or to, you know, get by in life. You know, um, you know, my kids are, are hard workers. Yeah, they're going to slack, you know, because they're kids. They're going to, you know, get things because they're, you know, their dad plays in the NBA and makes millions of dollars. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I think it's the, the more and more you value the work, the more and more you value the, the, the hard times that you have to put in. And they value the hard times that you put in to get them to a space where they won't have to want for anything in life. Like, I think that's when it, it all comes together. And that's the process that I'm teaching my kids now. I'm teaching my kids that everything is not going to come, you know, on a silver platter. You know, it, it's going to have to, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of determination, a lot of motivation. And you have to be ready to do the work. And if you don't do the work, then you're just going to be another kid that can either play basketball or just another kid that's just living off his dad's, you know, legacy. Or you can create your own legacy and you can, build your own cycle, you can build your own family, you can build your own network, you can do all the different things that I'm doing. Every day for you, it seems, is take your kid to work day. Your kids <laughs> are damn near season ticket holders at this point. They are season ticket holders. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want them to absorb when they see your work and see your process? Everything about what I'm doing. Um, I like to think I'm a a pretty good person, a pretty good man, a pretty good husband, pretty good father. Uh, so, you know, with me being pretty good at all those things and trying to be as good as I can be at those things, I just want them to see the time, the effort, the work that I'm putting into every single category. You know, it's not just a category of me being a family man or me being a husband or me being, you know, a, a brother or, you know, me being an athlete or a teammate. It's the process of every single thing that goes with it. You know, um, I want them to see that, you know, what I bring to the table as far as leadership. I want them to see that, you know, they have to be strong, they have to be tough. I want them to see that, 
you know, um, in order to survive or in order to continue to be able to do something that I've been doing for so long, you know, these are the things that it takes. This is the process. And uh, that's the part that I want them to understand, that it's a process for everything. And in order to get through the process, you know, you have to be able to fight through adversity. You have to be able to fight through every single thing that's going, that you're going to be faced with. You know, um, you know, and these are just building blocks to what they can be as, as young men. What have you taught them about black history and black culture? Uh, I've taught them a lot. Um, I think, you know, from a standpoint of when we were seeing all of the violence and stuff like that that was going on, you know, it was definitely a, a sit down that had to be had between, you know, me and them uh, to get them to understand, you know, the different things that's going on in our culture right now. But, um, you know, I think one of the biggest things is just like me teaching them that, you know, black men in society today can do a lot of different things. You know, we have a lot of black founders in tech. We have a lot of black founders in, you know, and you know, and, and regular companies like day-to-day -day companies, from trucking to, you know, um, you know, uh, exercise companies to whatever. You know, so, you know, for me, it's just teaching them that you can do whatever you set your mind to do it. You just have to wholeheartedly do it and put 100% behind it. And if you know, like one of my sons is a uh, is the young entrepreneur. He wants to sell merch. He wants to create his own social channels and stuff like that. So. We're giving him the opportunity to put things together to show us what he can do and what he can. So basically building him a portfolio on the business plan. And he's done a really good job of just piecing everything together through having his resources, which is, you know, obviously me and his mom, we can help him with it. But him going online and researching and, you know, seeing, you know, the different stuff that he can do and what he can't do and how he needs to do it, you know, the different brands that, you know, he likes and incorporating them into what he wants to put into his, into his brand. So those are the different things that we're teaching them, like right now, you know, about like how to not only just be a black man, but to be a founder, to be, you know, a, a businessman, to be a boss, you know, and to be a, a strong male figure to whoever he wants to be, be it too. What are your biggest fears for your young black sons? Uh, my biggest fears is that, you know, um, that they don't get everything that I'm trying to teach them. That they, you know, they, you know, you can't, you can try to stop your kids from doing certain things, but they have their own personalities, right? And with them having their own personalities, it means they gravitate to what they want to gravitate to. And I'm hoping in life that they don't gravitate to the negative, to the, the people that's going to bring them down, to the, you know, um, you know, the, the getting in a car and, and making bad decisions, you know, to, you know, getting with the in crowd and making those decisions. Like, I'm not trying to stop them from having a life, but I do want to monitor these situations to make sure that they are doing the right things. And, I, and like I said, I think I have two of the best kids in the world. They understand the difference between right and wrong. They understand, you know, the, pos the difference between positives and negatives and reds and greens. You know, so, you know, as long as they continue to, to, to try to, to, to continue to learn and continue to be the best kids that they can be, the best TJ and Taylor they can be, I think I'm going to be fine because, like I said, I have two great kids that really listen, that really understand, and they're super, super smart. So for many people, the George Floyd video hit differently. For me, it did because in the past, whether it was Rodney King, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, Eric Garner, I always saw myself in those videos. Yeah. George Floyd, for the first time, I saw my son when I watched the video. When you became a father, did that flip switch for you as well? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think on one of my posts uh, on, on uh, either Instagram or Twitter or something like that, like I penned a letter to my sons and just talking about like all the different things and stuff like that um, that's going on, that was going on in the world at the time. And, you know, obviously that was one of the, 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 the triggers for, you know, that letter. And, you know, uh, for me, I always try to explain to them, you know, um, to one, not try to put yourselves in those situations. And then two, to, you know, if, if these things happen to, you know, just try to like deescalate or try to, you know, you know, call mom, call dad, or, you know, make sure like it's crowds around that seeing this, the stuff that's happening or like, you know, just, you know, it, it's hard to tell them not to do something, you know, when they're going to get to an age where they're going to, they're going to just always be able to do something on their own. And, you know, for me, it's like, 
it's challenging. It's a, a challenging situation to be able to have to talk to your kids about. Um, it's super challenging to have to walk them into a room and, and say, hey, these are the things you can't do when this is supposed to be a free country, right? <laughs> you know, so, you know, it's, it's just hard. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of the most challenging things ever. And, and sometimes it's hard to find words to even explain it to them. You know, it's hard to find words for, for me to even, you know, even try to talk to them about it. You know, and, and they see all this stuff online. I mean, they, they're looking at YouTube every single day. They're looking at social media every single day in some, some form or fashion. So, you know, with them seeing it, and them, it's easier for them to ask me questions about how they feel or, or what's going on for me and for me to answer those questions, not for me to have to just go in there and just have to just hash, that, hash it out with them. What's your biggest hope for your young black sons? Say it again? What's your biggest hope? for your young black sons? Uh, my biggest hope is that, you know, um, that, you know, they, they're raised, you know, in, in the best house, household possible between me and my wife and with the best family supporting them, you know, between me, my wife, my brothers, and my sisters, you know, um, my father, like everybody in general, and just having that support system and just making sure that they understand and they know that every single day they're going to be supported in whatever they decide to do whether it's playing basketball or it's them trying to go and work for a Fortune 500 company, just knowing that they have a support system. Big part of your brand and your purpose is on your chest right now. Yep. Philanthropist. Yep. Through the eyes of modeling for your children, what does that word mean to you? Uh, just, I think the, the word philanthropist means to me is to be a, a pillar within your community but not just in your community, but around the world. Like, I'm an NBA basketball player that has fans all around the globe and, you know, just being a pillar to, like, all of them and letting them see who I am as a person and who I am as a man, who I am as a husband. And, and then also giving back to your community. Like, you know, we're not too big to, you know, to help people and just getting them to understand that it's always great to help people. And, like, my kids, they love helping people. Like, we see, you know, um, you know, people that homeless, you know, on the street, and my kids automatically, let's stop, let's get them some food, let's let's give them some money, let's do this, let's do that, and that's what you love to see, in, like your sons and, and you know young, you know young kids, you know the ability to to you know not walk by but to give back, and I think that's one of the biggest things like that this word means, like the ability to you know to 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 be humble, to give back, to make sure that you're doing the things that you need to do to help build our, our culture and our society and making sure that we're, we're creating, you know, not young monsters, but young, talented individuals. Within this organization, whether it's the front office, the coaching staff, or the locker room and the players, there are many examples of black fathers giving a role model to the community. Why is that model and that example important? Uh, I think the, the model and the example is, is very important. Uh, it's for the simple fact of like, you know, that's what we need. We need more role models. We need more, you know, like I said, not just black athletes, but black founders, you know, black professionals, like more and more, like obviously like we're the minority right now within certain sectors and stuff like that. but. You know, we have some of the best ideas and some of the best minds, you know, um, you know and, you know, um, I just went to uh, uh, something that's empowering females, right? And, you know, obviously, like, most industries are dominated by male figures, and it's the same thing, you know. These, the industries are dominated by, you know, the other side, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we're starting to close and bridge that gap. And we're starting to have more black founders, more, you know, black entrepreneurs that, you know, that we hadn't, haven't seen in the past. And, you know, I'm investing into them. I know other guys are investing into them. And, you know, and, you know, these entrepreneur, young entrepreneurs and these black founders are, you know, they're creating some, you know, some, some, some really, really great stuff as far as software, platforms, logistics, sales, commerce, like, um, AI technology, like everything across the board, and you know, and and they're doing 
amazing and phenomenal jobs and and I think that's one of the biggest things like just continuing to invest into our community and to and continue to invest into our culture and lastly Thad Young's legacy will ultimately be defined by what you do on the floor for the Raptors in the NBA or what you do for the young boys in your household uh, to me, it's going to be defined by what I do for my, my, my sons and my household uh, for the simple fact of, like, basketball is cool. Uh, I've been doing it for years now. You know, that's the easy part, playing basketball. The hard part is, like, raising kids and having a family, making sure the family is getting time, making sure that you're, you know, you're putting your best foot forward in that direction. You know, because without them, Thad Young on the NBA side, doesn't continue to happen. Um, you know, I, like like I always said, like you know, my family is is first. It comes first before anything, and I'm always put them first. Like like I said, basketball is cool. Yes, I I play basketball. I'm pretty good at it, and I've made a lot of money doing it. But at the end of the day, like if I don't have my family, then I wouldn't be able to be still here playing basketball. Well, uh, between you and your wife, uh, your family is hashtag family goals. <laughs> awesome to see you interact and to see those young boys grow up and follow in their dad's footsteps. Thank you for everything you do for them and for the greater community. Thank you. Appreciate you. That is a great example that our players actually are role models. Highly visible, highly influential. But there are so many roles in and around an organization that aren't as visible, but still have great impact. Take, for example, Courtney Charles, who's a Canadian-born basketball executive with the Raptors. He's running their G League franchise, the 905, as the vice president of basketball and franchise operations. But he, too, is finding this balance of being a black executive in a highly competitive space, but also being someone who is intentional about his child rearing. So I spent some time embedded with Courtney watching him work and watching his boys watch him work on a game night at Raptors 905 in Mississauga. Here's my time with Courtney Charles. How do you balance the highly competitive, time-draining role you have in pro sports with being a present dad? Tough balance. Um, one that I'm still figuring out today. Uh, one that you dedicate yourself to greatness in all of what you do um, and that means at home at work in the community um, and once you have children it, it kind of pulls you even more uh, because it's all connected um, so for me it's something I'm intentional about I try to make sure that there are times where I dedicate to my kids um, they are now at an age where they can speak and share what their thoughts are. So they'll tell me when to get off my phone if they feel it's a, a time to be appropriate to, to do that. Um, some of my gifts have been more reminders of what it is that we plan to do together or how we're gonna hold each other accountable. Um, and that's because I continually give them open lines of communication to coach me along being a dad as much as I'm coaching them along to be uh, great sons, what? great people. What do you want them to learn from watching you work in your occupation? When they watch me in my occupation, what I want them to learn is truly to devote yourself to excellence, um, dedicate yourself to you know, hard work. A lot of the things you go into you may not fully know and fully understand, but make sure you give yourself a, a equal opportunity of learning it, training and, and, and guiding yourself to be great. Um, it's a funny scenario that I'll share with you, which is when I was growing up, a lot of my instincts were to do things so that my mom would be proud. Then it was, well, I gotta do some things to make myself proud. And then it became some things that, I've gotta do some things to make my kids proud. And then you started realizing that you're just trying to do everything that will make everybody just happy, proudful, and, and, and willing to learn from you or to challenge them to learn. And for me, if they can at least, 
you know, try to smile as often as possible. Um, if they can try to give to others and, and help them um, uplift themselves, then, then they're on the right way. What does black fatherhood mean to you personally? That's a good one. I think um, just being a black man, there's stereotypes and biases that um, don't necessarily need to be repeated. I think we're in a time where everybody understands uh, the different things of what uh, humans go through, but then what happens when a, a different diversity goes through it. And I think um, it's one of those things where I've never truly let it be something that really changes who I am as a person, but I am more aware of it now that I have kids because what I may emotionally be able to handle and what I may physically be able to handle is not necessarily something that is built for them to go through and to accept and to understand and to follow. So there's more educational pieces that have to be uh, shared and have to so it's, 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 it's interesting because I think sometimes when I look back at their age, I go, oh, everybody around me was multicultural and everybody around me was nice to each other. Um, but maybe it was because I couldn't see it because there weren't things that allowed you to see it as often. Where today, it's very exposed. It's in front of you. It's um, talked about every other day. Um, there's more unfortunate situations that continue to happen, and there's even more storylines on why they happen um, compared to when I was growing up. You might not have heard about it because it eventually dies away, um, unfortunately. Um, and I would say that's where I'm being more uh, intentional on making sure that I take time to understand the moments we're in and to clarify what it is to be a black father and a black man um, and a black youth. What have you tried to teach them about black history and black culture? You'll only learn what you study. Um, it's great that schools um, reflect on it. It's great that you have places uh, like churches and community centers that, that can hold different functions for you to be educated on and to learn. But what is it that we do at home that we can learn of? Uh, my parents are West Indian, so you have to teach them the West Indian um, culture because um, they may not want to eat the food, but they may not know why it's important to eat certain foods. Um, so our job is to continually challenge them to learn from all the things around them, but also take it upon yourself to go learn and to ask questions. Um, I think you and I in passing have talked about they ask why when they're really young and how do you continually let them continue to ask why and and when do you eventually show them that they may get to an, uh, an age that you start asking more questions why where are you going and why do you need to be there and, and and so forth so i think it's something that they need to understand it's a open dialogue that should never end um, because there's always more to learn it's funny you mentioned the west indian culture because you know, that's the spot that I am now and bouncing. Man, that culture is a gift. I want to pass it on, but also, am I romantic about it because it's what I had? Yes. So am I going to be in the basement playing dominoes just because that's what I experienced, right? Who am I really doing it for? And so, like, no, you're not having oatmeal, you're having porridge, right? So, um, yeah, how have, you, have you, how have you balanced that and been passing on your experience but being true to their experience, which will be naturally different. You just touched on something, Donovan, that brought chills to me. You said the key word, dominoes. When there was a time of me trying to figure out work, life, and balance, dominoes was a game that I said I needed to bring back into my structure of life um, because of how much I enjoy the game, because of how much I remember was around the game, food, people, um, laughter. Um, Competition. Competition, you're definitely right. Um, pride, you know, you don't want to get six love. So you're trying to figure out how you can win a game. The next game is a must win game because you don't want to get to a certain point. The ingenuity of blocking the game. All the different things, right? So it's interesting you said that because it encouraged me that if I wanted to live it out, I had to look up my experience and how I can make it better and how could I involve my kids more? Because 
one reason it's fun to play dominoes now is because I control it. Back then, I was sitting on the sideline watching, right. and I had to wait for my turn, or I had to wait for permission. Now, I actually can control it, but how do I include my kids? And how do I let them sit at the table? And how do I maybe invite their friends over so that they can play their game, or they can play dominoes at their level, and we can all have the same atmosphere? So it's funny you say that, because I think when we talk about being a father, you talk about being a man, you talk about work-life balance. You try to take all of these things that are feel-goods and things that you know and things that you want to experience, and you've got to try to find a way to make dates available because you know everybody else is busy. you got to find where you're going to do it because everybody might live totally somewhere different, and you've got to start putting some things to aside because we're living differently than we did in the past. And to me, it's been amazing to invite people over to host and to do different things that sometimes I never thought about because I was either working or picking up kids from school. What are your greatest hopes for your kids? Be better than me in everything. You know, be nicer to people uh, than I can ever be nice to people. Because um, to me, the challenge of doing that every day will eventually become a, a habit and it will become a behavior that becomes um, one, contagious, two, endless. You'll start to realize that there's somebody else out there to make smile. You'll never be able to say, I've done enough. I've made enough people smile um, to give back. Um, we always wonder if we're fortunate enough. We're fortunate once you wake up. Once you wake up, you're fortunate and run with that. Um, so for me, it's really for them to um, take all of what they've seen and continue to share grow, build, um, and it's interesting because we're at a time where you can see sometimes kids are like, ah, that's a lot of work, or ah, that's too much for what I want to do. Um, but you just got to help them find their passion, find their purpose, find their way of contributing uh, to this wonderful experience of life that we have. What are your greatest fears for your young black sons? You know what, I don't, I don't think you can have fears. Um, for me, I think you have to take life on and just live it to its fullest. And I, and I, and I use the phrase, every morning you wake up, you've, you've overcome every fear. Uh, you should be ready now to take on more. Uh, so to me, it's, it's, it's you know, wanting to make sure they come home every night, but build them to be able to come home every night. Give them as many tools and as many uh, educational uh, lessons as possible and allow them to do the same so that everybody can come home um, and everybody can you know be contributing in a good way so for me I try not to think in a fearful mind I think the, the daily life cycle has enough things to um, allow fear to try to creep in but for me it's to keep it out keep the energy good keep the positivity going um, when something does happen how do you learn from it how do you overcome it and then how do you keep it alive in a positive manner? Um, because at some point, some things will come to an end just because that is how life is built. You good? One second. You good, Zilla? Okay. Um, and lastly, the beautiful thing is you're not an anomaly in that within the organization, in different roles, ages, and stages, there are many examples of black fatherhood. Why is that? role model presence within the organization important? Well, it's amazing that you can say it is within our organization and, and you know, hats off to Masai and, and Bobby and Teresa and our, and our leadership team on building uh, a understanding of having a diverse group and having um, black presence within an organization because it's not common outside of our team and it's not common in the corporate world. It's not common in different sports. And, and what we need to do is we need to look back and say, we've now won and shown you why it works. Um, we've done it at the G League level. We've done it at the NBA level. We continue to do it in the community. Um, and this is for us to continue to share that it's about winning. It's about treating people um, humane and, and with equality, because that's winning. And that's what we are. We're about winning. And for being a black um, leader and being a black father and being a black man, we have to be joyful about the winning that we're experiencing. 
there's enough fear or other non-winnings that are talked about, but we've got to talk about the people who are winning and, and, and the black women that are women and the people that help us win. And, and for us, that's the part we need to spend more attention on. And that's why the work that you do and the people around you um, can help elevate and bring that to the table because it's very important for people to see us winning. Well, I love the fact that your boys get to see you double six, block the game, smash the table, uh, and uh, have that joy in that aspect. Um, keep winning, my brother. Appreciate you. Thank you, and same to you. Appreciate all you do. That's it for us. We'll have another edition on the weekend. But for now, on behalf of Lance and Show, I'm Donovan. Thanks for listening. Be sure to like, favorite, share, and subscribe. Until next time, we'll talk to you later.